Hello there, and welcome to Sweet Child of Time. I'm your host, Steve Barnes, and today we are finally into Wheel of Time Season 2. We have watched Episode 1, and then we're going to recap that. The episode is called A Taste of Solitude, which I thought was interesting because A Taste of Solitude is a chapter title in Lord of Chaos Book 6. So I guess they're just going to use random chapter titles for episode titles, which I'm okay with. Let me bring in my co-host. You probably already know him from MLMPod.com, the Mostly Speaking Sensei podcast, and you know him put, putting music out as the Marshland Monster. He's James. Ahoy there, James. Uh, hey, Water and Shade, they also know me from this podcast. And you know him from Sweet Child of Time. He's, there uh, you go. He's my original Sweet Child, but he's he's grown up since then. Uh, you, you're like a year into you're like a year into oh. this Wheel of Time thing. You're like a year oh, old okay. now. Okay, I for, I was like I'm I've been a 30 year old man since we've started this. What are you talking about, Stephen? <laughs> I have a quick update. Okay. Because I now know Wheel of Time. And I know the book specifically. I know that tour symbol. I right. was able to scope out on the train. Oh, that person's reading Wheel of Time. Whoa. What were they reading? Do you remember the book, the the, uh, the actual book? I think it's the first one. Is it, What's the first one called? The Eye of the World. Yes, that's the first one. They're probably catching up with the show, trying to do their thing. I'm, I'm personally like, it, it lined up perfectly because I finished reading the series then I started reading it again, and right now I'm exactly where we are on the show. I'm reading The Great Hunt, which this is supposed to be based off of. So, like, unlike last season, I'm in the perfect place where I should be, book-wise and TV-wise. So I'm going to do a lot of book analysis, James. We're going to do a lot of comparisons to the book. That's no. not what we do. That's not Thank what we God. do here, James. <laughs> I'm lying. <laughs> At first I thought you were like, yeah, we're changing it up this season. I was going to be like, "I'm, yeah, you're going to be changing it up to a solo <laughs> podcast. <laughs> well, the only thing we're changing besides the format is, um, well, okay, I should say that. Our format is going to be, we're going to get right into our recap because uh, we got a lot of stuff to talk about. There's a lot of stuff to unmine here. And after that, if we have any listener feedback, which I certainly hope we do, we'll read a little bit of that. And something new that me and Lindsay have been doing, which I'm going to get James to do, he's going to do it on the fly, just like me and Lindsay do every week. Uh, we're going to name our favorite and our least favorite character of each episode, like who we enjoyed the most and who we enjoyed the least. Um, so I'm going to ask him that. But for right now, before we get into our recap, James, what was your general uh, viewing experience of this show? How did you enjoy it? I love this episode. It looks so much better in just the production quality, the filming. They all look like they've matured. They all mm -hmm. look clean. That's a big <laughs> difference. You know, they by the end, they're like all sweaty. Oh, we've mm -hmm. been on this journey for a real long. And it's you don't notice it when you're in it, but when you get the contrast of they were just so sweaty and now they're nice and clean. Hell yeah. <laughs> I agree, except for I thought Perrin looked a lot more dirty than usual, which I appreciated because he's on the road and he's dusty. What? No, yeah. he looks so clean and like I I vividly was like he looks matured his his beard and everything is True. well kept and trimmed True. everything's great with these fuckers. No, no, you're you're right. You're right. Um it has been pretty much exactly a year because we find out later on they're celebrating Beltine which they were celebrating Beltine in episode mm -hmm. 1 uh season 1. So we know that's mm -hmm. 
And I think they said, like, how long? We'll get into it of how long they've been in the White Tower. Yeah, five months. I'll just tell you that right now. Because it's really go. easy to do. <laughs> but, yeah, I'll go ahead and get into our recap, James, if you're all right with that. Oh, no, before the recap, I forgot. Our reviews. We have to – I know what you thought of it. Now you have to ask me back, like, you know, what my viewing experience was. What's your thoughts of it? Oh, great. Thank you for asking. Um, I, I really enjoyed it a lot. It was well worth the wait, and it's – just like you said, I think it's I think it's better than season one. Uh, I like the costumes better. They look like they're. I think in season one the costumes looked like costumes, and in this season two that looks like they look like clothes. They look more like clothes they would actually wear to me, and I, I like that little touch of realism. I watched it with Heather, and this is a really big uh, thing to say about the show. I don't I don't know. Uh, she stayed awake for the entire show. We watched this at night and she stayed awake for the entire show and she made Whoa. herself stay awake and she actually enjoyed it. She watched it front to back. And it, this is, this is big praise coming from her because usually she falls asleep or like, if she doesn't like what we're watching, she'll, you know, just simply tune out, put her earbuds in and do something else. And she was on board with it. So, you know, if she was, it's gotta be an okay show. I've been doing this thing recently where Nicole will start watching. I'm like, hey, Nicole, here's the remote. You choose whatever you want to. It's like 930. And I just get my blanket. I curl up on the couch and I zonk out next to her. And it's one <laughs> of my favorite things to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, OK, that's what that's one of the things I wanted to ask you is did Nicole watch this by any chance? Oh, no. We were talking about allergies we've recently been having before we were recording. Mm -hmm. So Nicole slept until about 1230 today. And I was like, <laughs> I I cannot wait for her. So I woke up, I worked out, watched Lucha Underground for Sweaty Time Pro Wrestling, watched yeah. this. So when she woke up, I had 10 minutes left of what do you, <laughs> would you like the quick little shots she saw to say, hey, what would you think of those shots? <laughs> no, no uh, yeah, I, I was just curious if she was in the room, if she had any opinions. And if she didn't, that's fine. Um, sounds like she wasn't part of that experience. That's okay. Maybe uh, season, maybe episode two. Did you watch any more besides episode one? Nope. Me neither. Okay, good. We're on the same page. That's great to hear. All right. Time to get into the recap, James. I thought reviews. Oh, yeah. Okay. Time to get into the reviews, James. <laughs> and so... I looked at uh, Rotten Tomatoes before we started, and right now, as of today, today's uh, September 2nd, they're holding strong at 91% audience score. They got about 500 reviews in. It's an 85% um, tomato meter, which is, a, that's according to, like, the critics. And I'm going to read my favorite review from it. Of course, Remember, we like the one star. What's that? I'm sorry. Oh, real quick. Remember, whenever we say 90 blank, we say naive, naive. one. Of course. They have a naive 1% audience score. And the review I wanted to read is a one star review from Rotten Tomatoes. It's from Dylan B. Not Dylan E. We like Dylan E. This is from Dylan B. He says... An assassination of one man's life work in the characters he created. For every creator, there is a destroyer. Rafe Judkins and Amazon are the destroyers. <laughs> the adaption is wrongly named. The only thing adapted is characters' names and settings. Not a single scene and two seasons from the books? Three question marks? Livid. <laughs> wow. Yeah. 
Um, he's wrong, of course, because even in this episode, we saw at least two scenes from the books. So I don't know where he gets not a single scene from the books from, but I thought that was pretty strongly worded and a pretty, uh, pretty great one-star review. Well, I, I'll challenge that person. I don't think you've actually read the books. Uh. <laughs> All right, what do you got over there at uh, IMDb? Which, what, All right, what, I- how's, how's it looking over there? Uh, currently it's sitting so much better than any of the other episodes sitting at a 7.4. Well, the other two episodes are like at eight and nine, but maybe that's because people haven't watched it enough, but I feel like this will be the season where the book purists are just going to say we tried, but it didn't work. Good on you. All right. (laughs) The first one is one out of 10. And the review title is Abysmal Skin Suit of the Books, which I find <laughs> so disgusting. It sounds so gross. That's from Drags, Dradg89 from September this year. Actually, Gotta no, be. it's from September last year. Oh, they no. didn't even watch it or they saw an early cut. Oh, the, the dailies. Nope. Oh, no, they, they saw dailies of this. What? No, I'm kidding. No, I'm okay. Kidding. I was like, holy cow. So this person's just completely off base. Wrong review. Uh, no, no. Th- th- it's from this year. I'm just okay, being good. a fool. Oh, geez, James. Okay. What did this guy have to say? They say season one derailed the books 30 seconds in and refused to get back on track, going so far as to completely make up wholesale everything that happened after episode three. Is that true? Uh, just yes or no. I'd say no, but maybe I can see where they're coming from with episode seven and eight. Okay. The season accumulated in an egregious affront to the main characters, lore and story. Season two was promised to be more book accurate. However, upon reviewing episodes one through three, oh, so this is a review of all three of them. Mm. Not one bit of the books made it to the screen. We have a further destruction of the magic system, a subversion of character, even more, the aspirations don't stop. The aspirations don't stop. That sounds good. Yeah, I don't under. I also they capitalize T and the. So I, that, that's all over the place. But their last line is this series was bad, but it got worse. Maybe someday someone will adapt this series. But as it stands, this is not the wheel of time. <laughs> And speaking of it got worse, well, David Visser 111, their Mm -hmm. title is It Got Worse. Oh, It's like they all recycle the same bullshit, which we saw before. Right. So I wonder if that's right. They would cut and paste reviews. That's right. Yeah. So I wonder if that will happen again. But they say this new season is out and only the the first three episodes are out. And Mm -hmm. after a disappointed first season, I hope the production quality increased. But it seems it went down more. These people are so stupid. What kind of production do they want? Jesus. (laughs) They want goddamn Citizen Kane. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they want it in black and white. Uh-huh. They want it to mean something. Ugh. They want Lord of the Rings. I guess this is better than the Lord of the Rings show, in my opinion. They're, oh that, no, that I'm saying Lord of contra- the Rings. 
Yeah, I'm saying Lord of the Rings, the television show. Oh, Rings of Power. Yeah, okay. Lord of the Rings. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the king. I got I got to admit. Was there more to the review? Yeah, they have five points that I guess they want her. Like, they numbered them. One, <laughs> besides some names, you can't really recognize the book books anymore. Season one followed the books roughly, but now they just did their own thing. It is so difficult to respect. Oh, is it so difficult to respect the source material? <laughs> Two, Cheap production quality. The sets, props, and clothing look very cheap and fake. So, how can you have fake clothing? It's clothing. It's not <laughs> cardboard, you shit heel. Same as in season one. Three. Meyer Drowl. Who's that? Oh, uh, Murderall. Oh, who's that? Those are like those um those faceless guys with the crazy oh. teeth in the hoods. I thought those were called fades. Yeah. But yeah, the official name is murder all. Yes. All right. Well, they well, oh, they they murder all. Okay. Mm -hmm. I can remember that now. Our week is fudge. Well, I guess you never been to Mackinac, bitch. Oh, cuz they got some bitter fudge there. Uh and then this next one is uh, it seems racist so I won't go on that one okay, and then five you. just being like they mix a lot of ethnicities the book mm -hmm. was filled with different cultures of their own clothing style why are they so bent on the clothing style in the series they just mix it and well it does not match that's just say you already made that statement before you didn't need to throw like ethnicity and race into it you don't like the clothing there and then right. oh my uh-oh loyal still looks like a guy in a halloween suit no he like but your only problem is i wonder if they're like the murder alls are weak as fudge i mean like their sense of style <laughs> I mean, Loyal's not as big as he should be. It's true, but I mean, I don't. I, I disagree with. It looks like a guy in a Halloween costume. I disagree yeah. with that a hundred percent. I think his face looks great. Yeah, it looks yeah. cool. I think so. And oh, that's it for the review. Oh, thank God. Okay, I'm, I'm glad that's over. I don't know if we want to keep doing these or not because I don't like these like negative thoughts going through. I, I want to get to the. Okay, we're gonna do it now. Now is when we get to the positive stuff. First, I wanted to say about to these book purists who's like who are mad about the properties getting changed. Of course, it's getting changed. They just released a live action One Piece on Netflix. One Piece is an anime show. Why are they destroying anime by doing a live action show? Because they want a new audience. They want to be able to expand the property. That's what Wheel of Time is doing here. Uh, no, I'm actually when it comes to One Piece, I say, why are they destroying a manga with the anime? <laughs> Because <laughs> it was a manga first. Okay, whatever. I'm a. Uh, I'm not with that. But on to our recap, James. Uh, we start out with our dark friend social. That's our first scene. It was actually the, the last scene of season one. They added it in there for us. So some of us have already seen this. That cool building that they chose is an actual church in Prague. I found that out. That's not like a set. That's like an actual building that they. The exterior shots is a building that they found. Uh, so we see a young girl. She's outside playing like in a yard of statues. And we see a broken statue on the ground. We see a few that are up. And it's an eight-sided star on the statue. We see an Aes Sedai symbol right in the middle. 
Uh, eventually, some Trollocs show up, and they chase her inside. She goes and hides under the table. And let's see. I'll stop right there and see if you have any notes at this point, James. I had no notes for this beginning part because I was okay. just taking it in. I did have some notes before, like when in the recap. Okay. Uh, we should remake um, that Prince song, I Would Die For You, uh, uh-huh. because someone said, I think it was... Uh, why can I th- land? He said, before you, I had nothing to, I said, die for. And we should remake that song. <laughs> I said, die for you. Okay. Yeah. I'm with that. And I remember in the beginning, you were like, Oh, do you remember besides uh, power Rangers? Do you know any of these actors from anything? And I said, mm-hmm. no, but I completely forgot. Rosamund Pike is in I Care A Lot. If you haven't seen that movie, maybe don't. It's fantastic, but boy, oh boy, are you pissed the entire time. Okay. (laughs) She's amazing at playing a terrible person. Okay, yeah. She was also like, you know, she's also known for Gone Girl, which she um, plays a questionable character in that movie as well. I think she likes playing controversial characters. So our dark friend social, everybody's cloaked so you can't see anybody but we do notice some clothing things that could give us some clue who's here we see a red dress we see somebody dressed in all white we see an Aes Sedai ring so we know there's an Aes Sedai there somewhere we see those two claws so like we've seen like in the trailers we've seen that one sentient woman that has those weird claws like she has two claws like fingernails on each finger and she was obviously at the Dark Friends social, too, because they showed her claws, and she was really hard to miss. Did uh, you, They show a sheer—oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, James. Did you crank the brightness up on your screen, or was it just because Mm-mm. I didn't watch at night and the, the I just had a huge glare? I couldn't make out anything at this table. Okay, well, that's why you got me. Okay. <laughs> no, I didn't have my brightness up. Um, but they did make this scene brighter because when we first saw this scene in episode eight, season one, it was much darker than this. Mm. So they did jack the brightness up a little bit for us for season two. Uh, we saw a Sheeran person there because we could see their falcon crest. Um, and they're talking about Rand. That's what this whole meeting is about is the... Um, Ishmael, who we know that now, that's what his name is, the dark one, the handsome guy with the beard. Um, he's going by the name Ishmael, and he's telling everybody about Rand, and somebody asks, well, should we kill him? He's like, uh, no, we're going to see if we can turn him. So that's the whole reason for this meeting, is to get everybody on the same page. They're wearing cloaks, not for us, but for each other as well, because they're not supposed to know who each other are, too. Of course, um, Patton Fane doesn't care. He takes his hood off and creeps out at the girl and smiles at her and stuff. So, you know, he's an obvious dark friend we already know about. See, I didn't even know that was him. That's how bad my glare was. Oh, you just thought he was just some creepy dude creeping. Yeah. Okay, yeah, well, that was Pat and Fane, so I need to remind you of that then. Can I ask you real quick, do you think we've already met the Aes Sedai that is there? Uh, more than likely, I would think okay. so. I only have, they're better, there is one Aes Sedai that we will meet later on that if it is that person, I and Nicole will be pissed. <laughs> okay, all right. And we'll get to it later. All right, we'll have to. Um, well, that was who was at the at the uh, meeting and what it was for, but what happens here is 
we go through some dark one semantics where we talk about, you know, the nature of evil and good and bad and perception, um, which is kind of, you know, interesting. This is how the dark one lures you in. This is how the dark one lured you in last season with this kind of talk. No, He's he like, lured, he lured uh-huh. me in with satanic imagery. <laughs> Oh, all right. Well, I mean, he's luring me in now, though, because he's talking about how hard it is to be like an in-between type person, which made me think about maybe somebody who's like biracial, perhaps, or, um, you know, anybody who has their foot in two different worlds. It's difficult. Um, he puts a lot of uh, <laughs> sympathy on this Trolloc here, and they cor- they both caress his face. The dude likes to be touched. The Trollocs are enjoying the touch. So it kind of gives you like a different perception of these guys. All we saw them as killing machines before, um, which is what they are. That is what they were designed for. But mm -hmm. it's also like the Pitbull argument, not Mr. Worldwide, (laughs) that people say, oh, Pitbulls are killer machines. Mm -hmm. But no, no, it's just ones that are raised like that. So there could be a chance that left alone, Mm-hmm. A trollop would be just like a wolf. It is what it is. If you interfere with them, they will defend themselves. If they need to eat, they will kill. That's mm-hmm. it. But they're not actively going out just to murder to murder. Mm, I guess I guess I can see what you're saying. I, I kind of think differently because they specifically say in the books that they were created for the purpose of killing with no other purpose in mind. They just blended up random animals together and just to create an army of beings that they didn't care about, they could that could, you know, be good in war. <laughs> well, luckily, like many of the reviews have said, this isn't following the books one bit. Okay, buddy. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, my last point here is that they are in a place called uh, Teleranroid. It's called the Dream World, and that's where this scene takes place. So everybody in this scene is asleep in their beds, but they're meeting here in Teleranroid to get the message from mm. um, from Ishmael. They're not actually; they didn't actually all have to go there. They just went to sleep. Um, I think this might be one of the first times. This is not the first time we've seen the Dream World, but I think this is the first time that they told us that that's where they are. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, I'm going to the next scene, unless you had any other questions or thoughts about that. Uh, no, just, you know, it, it looks a lot different than when you play a Kirby game. That dream world looks <laughs> a lot funner. <laughs> well, the dream world is what you make it. And this is what Ishmael makes it. Um, if you see somebody else in the dream world, like a Gwen, everything would probably be like prim and proper and well lit and perfect. Mm. And there would not be a weed or not be nothing anywhere. Like, I don't know. Anyway, (laughs) my dream world, it's Mm -hmm. the same, except it's anachronistic where things from like my uh, old trailer will be matched up with my uh, grandmother's house. But Uh, always I'm smoking a cigarette. (laughs) Heck yes. In the dream world, it's all good. Uh huh. I'm constantly saying I have to cut back, but that is this is true. (laughs) It's canon in my dream world. I smoke cigarettes and sometimes Mm -hmm. cigars. Yeah, I smoke cigarettes in my dream world as well because I used to be a heavy smoker and I still smoke in my dreams. It's the only place I still do it, though. Hell yeah, dude. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next up, we meet Moraine. We see what she's been up to. Um, She has obviously lost her power. So beautiful scenery here. She blends in with the scenery great. This is like some of the, the nicest scenery to start the show out with. 
Um, but basically, we're, we're learning that she has lost the power, that she has to lug these buckets back and forth. You know, she probably does it a lot. We learn later on that she's battling, like, severe depression, too. So probably having this task of, like, lugging the buckets around is probably, you know, some form of therapy for her. Yeah, chop um, wood, carry water. Yeah. <laughs> and let's see. I think this bath scene might be like a callback to season one, episode one, when she and Lamb were taking that bath and she like used her power to stir the water around and make it warm. And mm-hmm. I think that's what this was trying to mirror, that that she doesn't have any power anymore. In and- this scene, she looks at both her hands and Nicole and I always do this. We don't know what movie it's from. We think it's from a riff tracks or an MST3K, but someone looking at their hands and going, these hands, these hands, <laughs> we have to watch Manos, the hands of the fate hands or of whatever. Fate. It might be that we don't Probably know. Is. There's also a line of like spit on it, which we don't know what it's from, but it has to be from a riff tracks. But in this, she does a master class of acting when she balls up in a tub. And it's like, how are you not accidentally slipping a toot out? Like that's, I was like, she's very like, that's a very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Vulnerable position to film. So yeah. good on you. Yeah. Uh, next up, we see her uh, quote unquote partner, Lan, her warder. Uh, he's working out and he's working out pretty angry. Um, you can kind of see that he's got like a lot of anger and he's that he's trying to work through. Um, he and Moraine, you know, used to be bound by the bond, the warder bond, and that's no longer there. So, you know, Lan's got his own issues he's trying to deal with. He yeah, I wrote land. down. Mm-hmm. I wrote down that like warders are they're stilled at the same time in a sense. Like if mm-hmm. if a Aes Sedai all of a sudden loses that bond or loses their magic, they can't bond with you anymore. So I think they touched on it a little bit, where it's kind of like they're dead, but they're still living. Well, that's if like your Aes Sedai dies. Like, oh no, that's that's, that's that's what happened with Corinne. What I meant was when that bond gets severed for like, it's never coming back. It would be like you are dead, but still living. Now what's supposed to be happening here? What's supposed to be happening is she is being shielded from the source. Kind of like when later on in the show, we see Nynaeve gets shielded from the source. It's, it's, that's what Ishmael said the last episode of the last season that, you know, the, the, the one power is still there, but she just can't touch it. Oh, I thought she was straight up stilled. No, no. They they kind of made it seem like she's not stilled. Um, oh, I bet this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Because w- what's her face? Um, Nynaeve, is that the, the Power Ranger? Yeah. That's I think because she overcame that shielding, I think that's going to be taught to or like, they're going to influence each other, and that's how she's going to overcome it. Mm, I got to correct you. You misunderstood. She didn't overcome the shielding. If, if oh. I said I shield you, you're, you can't get out of it, no matter how weak or strong they are. Like a shielding what? is a shielding. What um, Leandra did was just like put a big like air, you know, force at her. She didn't actually shield her. Then she shielded her, but then she unshielded her before she left the room. 
there's got to be some way around this, and I'm going to say that those two get together and they help each other out. Right on. Okay, um, Lan the, uh, and Moraine, yeah. I say that, so even if she undid it, I think it's foreshadowing when, what's that, the Red's name? Leandrin. Leandrin, when she said, oh, you saw that thread and you were able to recreate it instantly, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think she will be able to see a thread. Mm. Oh, that's how you shield it. I can unthread it. That's, dang. Okay, yeah. That I mean, she's powerful enough to do stuff like that, so I don't doubt I, it. Fingers crossed. I've been right on a few of my hunches, <laughs> and if this is correct, hey, bow down, purists. <laughs> All right, Moraine and Lan are hanging out in a place called Arafel right now, which is where they're at. They're hanging out with Viren. This is Viren's house. She's the one, like, with the gray streak in her hair. We got Adelis. She's the one who's, like, hungover and horny for Lan. I and- loved it when he came. Like, he's shirtless throughout the entire first scene. Then when he yeah. comes in, he covers up. And I love a high, cl- like high status, high class woman who's just horny. Yes. It, it happened a lot in Burning Love. Did you ever see that show? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. That show, flawless. It has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's insane. And yeah. no one talks about it when they should be. But that was a lot of high status, horny women. And I love <laughs> those kinds of characters. I do, too. I think we're going to see more of her later. Um, Thomas is the warder that's there uh, hanging out with them. Uh, we learned that Moraine has had 20 different visitors since the, they've been there. It's been roughly five months. And one of them is from Ilion, a big city. And we know his name is Bale Damon, feather-capped fellow. Uh, but that's all we see for right now because I think we skip and we... Yeah, we come back to them a little later on, but they make it really clear that there's a lot of tension between Lan and Moraine right now. So any other thing with them before I move on to the uh, White Tower? Nope. All right. The White Tower. Egwene's in it. She's into it. Like she's She's super into the White Tower. We see it through her eyes, and so... We're seeing like the best of the White Tower. Um, she's like scraping and bowing for the eyes to die as they walk by. We see a quick glance of uh, Leanne. She's the like the Asian who's wearing like blue, um, and she like kind of tosses some dishes at Egwene as she walks past. Um, we're gonna see much more of her later on, but for this episode, we've got a quick glimpse of her. Um, she as she's gathering dishes, she sees Alane having a threesome with her warders and she's kind of like, Oh my, like uh-huh, my never super, right. She's and super square. And how, what's her face? What's the Aes Sedai's name? Alane. How Alane responds with like, Egwene, uh, do you want in on this? Like it felt <laughs> very like, Hey, you, you can watch if you'd like, this is what I we think she get. Dug, I think she would have dug that. I think she would uh, not no. have minded. No, I, she, Oh, wait, wait, Egwene or the Alane. Aes Sedai? Okay, yeah, Alane she would have totally mind, not minded. Oh, yeah, but Egwene would have said no. <laughs> no way. No, thank you. <laughs> uh, we learn a lot of stuff in these next few scenes. Like, we know the trainees all wear white, um, and they have this courtyard in the middle of the White Tower, which is where the warders practice. And, of course, the warders go through their own training as the Aes Sedai go through their training. 
And there's a lot of this stuff going on in the books or, or on the show later on as well, where a lot of the girls in white will be watching the guys fighting in the courtyard and like, oh, I want him for my warder, oh, et cetera, oh, yeah. et cetera. Heck yeah. That's why the thing is right there. That's why the courtyard is where it is. Um, there's like a real ebb and flow to the tower that you kind of get that vibe from Egwene that, you know, everything is just right and just so in this tower. They make a, it, it kind of like a Hogwarts kind of thing. Like there's just a real, that's what it reminded me of because I've seen Harry Potter before I saw this. So it made me think about Hogwarts. Um, of course, Nynaeve is bitching about the whole concept. Like she thinks it's unfair. They have to bow and scrape and do dishes and stuff, which is, I mean, legit. She's a super strong Aes Sedai and she's got to get taught by people who are weaker than her. And she has to, she's an adult by this point. Most of the girls here are girls like a Gwen's age and they haven't lived by themselves, but Nynaeve is an adult woman. So she's kind of like, I already know how to do all this stuff. I don't need to build character because I've lived a life that has given me character. So this is kind of bullshit to me. It's kind of Nynaeve's attitude. Yeah. But you could also look at a lot of, dudes like take any classic rock band and mm -hmm. if you were to be like hey you should probably you know it's pandemic learn how to record yourself then if you were to teach them they'd be like i have gold records and you're trying to teach me and you're just some some kid and it's like right. no well i know the steps and the ways to record something you spent all your time boozing and whatnot instead of learning the board which you should have learned the board this is that thing of like even though you know you're in this general field you're more knowledgeable or more able to do something mm -hmm. you still don't know how to get to that point to actually be able to use it and whatnot it's it's classic uh x-men yeah yeah there you go xavier's academy that's another example here mm -hmm. We learn along with the novices that there's five um, elements that they use, earth, fire, water, spirit, and air. Um, some Aes Sedai are better at elements than others. Some Aes Sedai can't do anything with air, for example, but they're great at water. Um, mm. Just kind of depends on the Aes Sedai. We also, we don't really learn this here, but we can tell like by some weird looks on Egwene's face. There's obviously an Aes Sedai like power hierarchy where like if you're more powerful in the one power, then you're going to be like above everybody else. Mm. Like Nynaeve by default is like above everybody else because she's so strong. So she falls higher in the hierarchy, be more apt to be like a, the head of an Aja, more apt to be like the Amarillan seat because she is so powerful. And somebody like Lady Amalissa we met last season that lived in Faldara and she eventually died at the end, like getting mm. struck by lightning and all that power. She was real weak in the one power and she couldn't do a whole lot. So she didn't get much out of her training. Like she became an Aes Sedai, but a very, very weak Aes Sedai and other Aes Sedais would look down on her for that. It's kind of like the, uh, the, the little bit of the toxicity of the white tower where like, if you're lesser than you get treated as lesser than. Mm-hmm. I really liked when Egwene came into that whole, uh, like, where everyone's doing dishes and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And she's smiling at Nynaeve, and Nynaeve says, don't smile. And it's, yeah. like, a good opposite of someone being like, smile more, people. You know, it'll be, she's like, no, we're not here to have fun, and it's not fun. 
so you better not be having fun. <laughs> yep. So let's see. They do like, oh yeah. So we get Alane. Alane comes up. She's done having sex. Now she's back in teacher mode. Uh, she shows them this really cool trick of uh, water filtration, basically. Um, but we do know from this a few things. Um, Nynaeve has not been, Nynaeve has not been able to channel the whole time she's been there for five months. Egwene, on the other hand, doesn't like to use her hands when she's channeling, which I think that's a direct callback to when she was with child Valda and he was like kind of like tormenting them. And he was like, yeah, like he chops off the eyes of his hands. So mm -hmm. I think she was trying not to use her hands for that reason. Um, and you can tell that Egwene is kind of like, uh, they say it later on. She's kind of, she's kind of a, sti she's got a stiff fish. She's like, wants to be the perfect student and yeah. wants to do everything a hundred percent correct. And she's very serious about it. And she has a teacher named Alane who is not a serious teacher. And she just wants Egwene to loosen up a little bit. I really liked after the don't smile thing, mm -hmm. uh, Egwene's like, hey, you know, we do this to build character. And Nynaeve says, I have enough character. That was really good. Yes. And then we get to the part with, uh, with the water stuff. Yes. I mean, that's total badass Nynaeve right there. She would rather uh -huh. just down the shitty water instead of making a fool of herself in front of everyone and failing in front of everyone. Steve, I have a meme for you to make for the promotion of this. It's her <laughs> downing that disgusting water, then intercut the water boy saying, that's some good H2O. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I'm with it. <laughs> yeah, that was total naive stuff. I like that a lot. Um, oh, yeah. From this scene, we go directly to the heads of the Aja. They're out there with Shirium. And they're talking about the training of the novices that they have right now. Shiriam is the woman with like the gray hair. And she's like the, basically like the principal of the school, more or less. Um, not the leader, but she's the one in charge of all the training. Uh, we know through this conversation that Leandrin had a novice die in her care. So she is no longer allowed to directly teach anymore. Um, so Good. she's like... Yeah, good. She doesn't seem like she has any remorse about that either. <laughs> um, but let's see. That through this little turn of conversation here, we learned that there's less novices coming into the tower now than there used to be. Um, the hunt for the Horn of the Lear. I mean, we know that Perrin and uh, Loyal are doing that. We learn another false dragon, even more powerful than Loghain, has showed up. Trollic uh -oh. raids are happening in Saldea. And... Eventually through this conversation, oh yeah, we meet another Aes Sedai, Joya. Um, yes. She doesn't say a whole lot, but she shows up. She is a, actually a um, our second musician of the show, because last season we had Maria, what was her name? Maria Boyle Kennedy, who is a musician. And the actress, Joelle, or I should say the musician, Joelle, who plays Joya, is a musician, and she is an advocate for like... Um, for LGBT rights, she's an advocate. She has um, alopecia, so she's an yes, advocate for that. And that's she's what an I would. Hmm? That's what I would like to talk about. Oh boy! Okay, and All she right. um she does a lot of anti-bullying campaigns as well. We have actual alopecia representation. There's only a few actors out there that have like complete alopecia. The biggest right. one, he's from Barry. He was in uh, Gotham as Zaz. So <laughs> yeah. 
the biggest thing is LOP. And, and I told Nicole, I said, hey, it, it is a high status, good person that is like is great. And she's like, well, are they like magical or something? I was like, yeah, well, everyone in this like any every woman here pretty much can do magic, at least yes. that we see on screen. And she's like, OK, that makes sense. And we both I, she said it. And I was like, I already thought that I was like, if she said. If she turns evil, though, because a big thing are <laughs> people with alopecia or just completely bald people get right. typecast as a villain. So right. fingers crossed uh, that this doesn't happen. The only person you I, I mean, he's actually sometimes the no, he even though he's kind of like a goofball, he's generally like a mean spirited goofball, that comedian, British comedian that has alopecia i forget his name but a lot of times bald people just synonymous with villain that's right i don't know why that is i think the dr evil was he the first like bald villain that, that became a trope after him or it was even before that ming from um flash gordon well i would even there's probably james bond stuff yeah gotta because be that's too. what dr evil's based on he's i thought he was based on lorne michaels well, the the voice is, but the actual like everything's based on or like the villain yeah, James Bondy stuff. Yeah, that's true. Well, I don't I don't know if she's going to turn good or bad, but I do know that she's going to do something because she's an actual character with speaking lines and she has a name. <laughs> so mm -hmm. we know that she's going to be she's going to show up again later, and she's the she's at this meeting, so that means that she's high up. Mm -hmm. And there's another person in this meeting who looks way more villainous than she could ever. And that person is Leandrin. Uh, Leandrin is allowed to have a talk with Nine, a quote unquote talk. Alane's not into this. I don't know why Shiriam allowed this. Maybe she's like, oh, I think she should have put some parameters on that. Like, sure. How about you and I go talk to Nine? Mm -hmm. I think that's what Shiriam probably should have done. But for whatever reason, she lets her go. <laughs> Um, let's see. What other notes did I have about that? That's it. Anything for you, James, before we move on to parent and loyal? Just one. It's before she drinks the water, Nynaeve. She, she's being told, hey, you're the most powerful person we've ever seen. Like, you're, you easily outpower this person, that person, that person. And she's like, I don't want to be able to, ha like, control this power because no one should have that much power right yep but i mean who better than to have that much power than somebody who's cautious and careful about it though mm -hmm. i don't know so next up we got perrin and loyal they are in a place called arid Doman. And basically, they're they're in the Westlands is what we're going to call this. They're on the hunt for the Horn of Valir. We know through their conversations that Ran is gone, quote unquote. Um, everybody thinks Ran is dead because um, Moraine has like perpetuated that lie. Um, somehow perpetuated that untruth. <laughs> These Aes Sedai's can work around lies however they can. Which just is said he left is no longer with them. Yep, yep. 
let's see. Which is we, w- mm-hmm. which is just like a Seinfeld episode of like, oh yeah, he's no longer with us, and then they're like, he died. Jerry <laughs> died, and everyone's like planning a funeral, and he's like, no, uh, he just wasn't with us at the party. Like he left. Oh. We the last scene he... would be him showing up to the funeral, of course. What are you guys doing? <laughs> yeah, there you go. We we wrote the episode formulaic, a podcast in script writing. <laughs> Move over, Shelby. Okay, let's see. Um, we got we we're meeting this whole crew, the sh- the Shinars, I guess you call it, the Shinarians. I'm sorry, not very good at pronunciation right now. These are the Shinarians, Lord Ingtar and the boys. The boys that we meet are Uno. He's the guy with the eye patch, who's hilarious. Masima, he's the guy who always, he's, the only lines he says are like kind of religious lines. So he seems like kind of a Gwen, kind of a square. Um, Elias is the tracker with the, with the yellow eyes and the dreadlocks we meet later on. Real quick, oh, just talking through religious quotes that makes you a square, then I guess Bible man, you think he's a square. No, he's a goddamn circle. That's how cool he is. He's so cool, he's the peace sign. Yeah. And Lord Ingtar. We meet Lord Ingtar. He's the guy with a really nice beard and the slick back hair who does a lot of the talking to Perrin later on. My only issue with this episode is just loyal's there. We don't get any information of was it a it was just such a cliffhanger of wow, is he going to die? Is he dead? To hey, he's just hanging out. That's a fantastic point. The last time we saw this entire crew, they were laying on the floor, supposedly dead. Uno was supposedly dead, Masima supposedly dead, and Loyal, yes, they all looked dead. There was no <laughs> we didn't get any kind of explanation. Um, Loyal should really be dead because he was stabbed with that ruby dagger, which is like a magical dagger. But they're back, boys. <laughs> they're back, and they're looking for the Horn of Valir, and that's all I need to know for right now. Oh, what if this is all in that dream world? Um, it's not. It's an Eridamon. <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I mean, I don't know how they're going to do that later on. They might do some pulling some wool over our eyes. But uh, maybe what? What are they? Loyal's race? Oh, Ogier. Maybe they have some sort of magical resistance. Um, when they're in their steading, in... when they're in their steading, they do. But uh, yeah, so maybe you know. Maybe, you know, I'll go with it. If I'll you're thinking it. of it Dungeons and Dragons wise, <laughs> some races have specific resistances and some have others. Ogiers would be in the Dungeons and Dragon world the most likely to have magic resistance. I gotta say. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> there we go. We figured it out. Head cannon. There you go. Um, I like how um Perrin and Loyal are kind of picking on Uno. Um, Uno's kind of like, he reminds me of a guy, Harold, that I work with, who's like kind of always in a bad mood, but he's always fun to talk to because he always says a bunch of funny stuff. And yeah. so that's who this Uno reminds me of. They're making fun of him behind his back. He's pissed off about it, but saying a bunch of funny stuff. This is exactly how he is in the books. He's a great character. Hell yeah. I thought their two relationship, parent and loyal, it's so cute. They're BFFs now. I know. Which is why I was going to skip over this, but I'll go back and say it. When Perrin was sitting there lamenting, like, oh, Rand's gone. Nynaeve and Egwene are all I have left. 
Matt's gone. I have no one. I'm like, Loyal's right next to you. That's rude mm-hmm. as hell. You shouldn't. I have you, Loyal, but other than you, that's what he should have said. Loyal anyway. is loyal in your BFFs like right. Jessica St. Clair and Lennon Parham, NBC. <laughs> so th- at first they're bummed because they think that Elias lit like a signal fire. It was not a signal fire that Elias lit. It was just simply a massacre. A massacre occurred here. And uh, apparently uh, Padden Fane, the Shenarian soldier that we saw at the Dark Friend social, uh, massacred a group of Tuathan is who these were. These were the peaceful mm-hmm. people that Perrin used to hang out with. So they massacred them and burnt the bodies or burnt the stuff. So that's where all the fire was coming from. We can see that Perrin is starting to develop this thing where he can where he can see what had happened at an area before, like after it had happened. And as it turns out, that it's only for like strong emotions. He wouldn't be able to look over and see if somebody was just like hanging out playing guitar, unless somebody smashed him over the head with a guitar and killed them, because that would exhibit a lot of like you know a lot of pheromones and a lot of uh, traces of your. Uh, emotions behind and that's what parent can kind of can kind of vibe on how i noodle on the guitar you better believe you'd be able to see me (laughs) i should have known that was coming um is that is is uh this tracker dude a wolf bra as well yes um it's confirmed because when they bury the dead later on we see that tracker dude is burying the dog and mm. treating it the same way that they would, you know, treat the people. He puts a candle on the dog, so he holds animals in high regard. Um, yeah, these these guys have the same clothing as the guy that betrayed them. Everybody's pissed off at the guy that betrayed them. Uno spits on his corpse. Lord Ingtar is like, we got to give him a proper burial, uh, which they kind of seem like they're not really, the rest of the crew is not really into it, but because they follow the command structure, they they go along with it. Uh, especially Masima. He's the one that seems like the most serious and he's talking about blessing them and et cetera. So that's the vibe I got from him. He's a real square. He's yeah. not a, he's a respectable guy. I thought this man square. was like, no, he's not. He's saying, <laughs> Hey, you need to remove revenge from yourself. And he's well, saying that. Oh, Oh wait, then who's the square? Um, he only says two lines and both both the lines he said are something about the creator and like, Oh, blessed me, you know, just like a, you know, that guy square. I thought you were talking about the dude who's like, Hey, maybe like he had a reason. And instead of killing him, like ask him the reason, because that might be more interesting than gutting him. (laughs) Right. He seemed kind of reasonable actually, but I don't know. I don't think parent vibe with him very well. Cause then you could be like, Hey, Oh, someone else made you kill my family. I'm actually <laughs> going to kill them. All right, this Bale Damon guy, I like him. He has played in House of the Dragon. He played a lord, and he also played a king in Justice League. And here he's playing like a merchant. He's not a seafolk merchant, but he does do business with the seafolk a lot. Um, so he has these artifacts from before the breaking, and the thing that he really thinks that Maureen is really into is this heartstone, the Quandiar, as they say, because it's unbreakable. And if you remember back in episode eight of last season, uh, 
the this stuff, well, I'm just going to call it the heartstone because it's easier to say. The heartstone is what sealed the dark one in his prison. The dark one tricked Rand into blasting him and Rand broke that heartstone. Like in the, and that's how the dark one Ishmael, the guy with the beard, broke free because Rand used his power to break that heartstone, break him free. So people are learning now that heartstone this unbreakable stone can be broken. This is a new thing. And it probably has to do with uh, the male side of the power. You follow me? Uh, there's a bunch of sirens going past. I don't know if you can hear them. I'm not, I don't know nope. if it'll come up in the recording. I don't know nope. if you have gating that you can do and the cicadas, all the windows have to be open. I apologize if these things are coming through in the recording at all. It sounds You sound Better than ever, James. Better than last okay. season. All right. Just like just like Wheel of Time, you got nothing but better. Well, in the edit, if you're like, oh, wow, I bumped up his volume. Who, boy, you can really <laughs> hear those cicadas. Let's see. In between this scene, we see Lan lamenting to Thomas about Moraine. Um, and Thomas reminds Lan, you don't have to stick around. You can leave if you want. And that's when we learned that Land, no, he's going to stick around. He doesn't want to leave, doesn't want to give up on anything. So he's going to see it through. But we go back to Moraine and Bale. And Moraine does like a classic swindle here. I love it. It's like she asked the guy to come here thinking that she was going to buy the Heartstone. Instead, what all she really wanted was that poem. Like, she already knew that Heartstone was being broken. She was interested in where it was broken and where it was mm -hmm. found because she wants to know how it happened. But it's really that poem that she wants. So she swindled him in a really fun way. And Boyle kind of, like, admires the fact that she swindled him. Um, she even talked him down from five marks to one, which is, you know, even better. But unfortunately, she has wrapped him up in her plot just by asking him to come here because those, those murder rolls, those fades followed Boyle Domon there. So she inadvertently got him involved and she apologizes to him for that. She gives him more money than it's worth. And she gives him instructions just to get the heck out of here as fast as you can go a weird way. You don't want those guys, you know, following you. So what was five marks? What was mm -hmm. she paying five marks for? Um, the poem or the rock? The, the poem. The rock is 50 marks. Very okay. expensive. So 10 marks is like, okay. Like it's not a lot, but is like substantial. It's very much a lot. Cause remember oh, okay. she says, she says that, okay, here's our basis of reference. She says that five marks can buy the finest Domani racehorse. Oh, okay. I, I looked up how much it costs to buy like the finest Kentucky Derby racehorse, $5 million. Oh, okay. So it's like $10 million she gave him. No. See, this is where it gets funky. It's a lot of money, an awful lot of money. Uh, I guess it's a good time to go into to our money system here because it's a, it's a pretty simple money system. They have three elements and then they have three levels. It's copper, silver, gold, and then it's pennies, marks, crowns. Start with one penny, which is actually a dollar. If you have 10 pennies, that equals a silver penny, which is like $10. Mm -hmm. 
if you have 10 silver pennies, then you have one silver mark, which is like $100. If you have, a hun if you have 10 of those marks, then you have a crown, a silver crown, which is like a thousand bucks. And if you have 10 of those, then you get a gold crown, which is like, they talk in the books about how Rand says at one point that one golden crown, a man could buy a farm and retire. So I'm thinking that's a roughly a million dollars. Okay. So I'm thinking that the marks are probably somewhere between $10,000 and $100,000. Okay, so uh, it's it's still a substantial amount. Sure, yeah. And then she gives him 10 just for his trouble. He wasn't even expecting that. So we minimum she kind of gave him $100,000. That yeah, I would say. Sounds about right. All right. And if any of you purists out there actually know like better <laughs> than us, like please let us know. Write us, write us, please. Be, we need it. <laughs> but be nice about it. Don't say, oh, well, you shouldn't even believe. There's no way they would give this just this man 10 marks when she wouldn't even give a fairy bow a, a guy anything <laughs> for his broken fairy. Yeah, let's get going on here. We got the next scene with uh, Nynaeve and the warders. She's sword fighting with uh, Ivan and Maxim, and we learn why they came to the tower. Um, it seems like Maxim's in love with Ivan. Ivan's in love with Alane. Maybe Alane's in love with Maxim to make it all <laughs> perfect circle, but they're all together. Mm -hmm. And they're trying to figure out, you know, or Nynaeve is trying to now figure out what her purpose is, why she's here. Um, she leaves them to go talk to Egwene about that. Egwene's not around because she's going to talk to Alane. Um, did you have any notes before I move on? Yeah, I really liked how those two and Nanive's their relationship, like they're just little goofballs sword fighting with each other. I love that. Mm -hmm. And they, they said, because clearly she's been advancing further in her swordsmanship than in using the one power when mm -hmm. they say, You'll be bounded to an Aes Sedai sooner than you become one. Yep. <laughs> Which is funny. There's no women, uh, like, the, it, I, you don't, I don't want to call it sexist, but there is no women warders, just like there's no men Aes Sedai. But she seems like she's worthy enough to be a warder with her sword fighting skills. Oh, man. What if she becomes Egwene's warder? I would love it. That would be some good stuff. Um, Let's see, yeah, Gwen goes to visit Alane, and they have, like, a classic miscommunication about if she's asking about <laughs> using two elements or balancing two lovers at the same time. And Alane's real relaxed here, and I guess she just had a few orgasms, so she's, like, just chilling. And Gwen is trying to be relaxed. This is, like, mm -hmm. the scene that made me laugh the most because she's trying to be chill, and she's just not, she has no chill. She looks so stiff and uncomfortable here. And this is basically um, another version of loosen up Egwene because Alane is telling her, you know, things are messy before they're perfect. You have to be able to deal with messy stuff if you want stuff to be perfect. So take that. I quoted that today. I was like, what podcast did, did Megan Beth Keister say that in Kiss My Griffs in Grift Horse? And it was like, no, it's from this. Thank you. I'm glad you said that. 
there's a lot of wisdom in these books and this show. This is why I like the books so much, where I'm reading, where I'll fall asleep the night before, I'll pick up, I don't know where I'm at, but I'll read some paragraph that's just, you know, mind-bending. They have so much good advice in this book. Oh, when we say show. para something on the show, you know we say paragraph. Um, no, <laughs> I don't know. I, this. It's a new thing. It's a new thing. It's like okay. our uh, saying ninety. We say naive. Okay, we say. I was born in. I was born in nineteen ninety one. I mean, yeah, Heather and Charlotte already make fun of me how I say ninety anyway. So it's 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 very Steve Barnes. Next up, we got, oh, yeah, this is when Nynaeve, she goes to visit Egwene. Egwene's not around, so she's like, I guess I'm going to go practice with the water. She's more comfortable doing this, and I think this is why I like, I've always, Nynaeve has always been my favorite character, and I've always related to her, and this is a prime example of why. She doesn't want to sit there and practice with everybody else while they're practicing. She'd rather go down there at night, do it all by herself when there's nobody around so she can fuck up and do whatever she needs to do. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I really like that that perspective. But, of course, this is when Leandrin chooses to come in and have her little talk with Nynaeve. And let's see. She's trying out the water. Oh, yeah. She says she's learned more from the warders than she has from the Aes Sedai. Leandrin counters that by showing her that she can make her own sword and that... But she doesn't prefer to do that. She would just bother... She would rather overpower somebody because she doesn't want to fight and like waste her strength. She just wants to win. So she demonstrates that by doing like a big air blast at Nynaeve, kind of like, you know, Nynaeve is cowering in the corner. And at that point, she begins her insults. And this is Nynaeve, I mean, this is, I'm sorry, this is Leandrin's method of teaching. She like finds what will get an emotion out of somebody. Like they, Alane was all like, close your eyes and picture a rose and be calm. That's not naive style. This is more naive style. And Leandrin was correct. Nynaeve was able to counter that attack with her own attack. This is what draws Nynaeve to demonstrate the power is anger, not the calm serenity that most Aes Sedai's feel. But when Nynaeve feels anger, that's when she can channel. I, it also kind of makes sense. I, I think she's, now that I'm really thinking about it, Leandrin's going too far with it of saying mm-hmm. like, hey, this is do or die. You should be just tackling it how the warders train of this is, hey, you, we are actually sparring with each other right now, not just like doing little tricks amongst ourselves. Right. Yeah. Like real life demonstration, you might mm-hmm. say. But Leandra's going way too far with it. She's gone absolutely too far. And like the and way so- she's talking is kind of nutty. <laughs> and sounding very dark one-y. Very dark one-y. I don't like the way she's leaning here. But what she does is she does the blast. Nynaeve's able to blast her back. So she's she, she, she can take that. Then she demonstrates the shield and demonstrates to us, the audience, how the shield works. And Aes Sedai no matter how weak, can shield another Aes Sedai and that other Aes Sedai can't do anything. They can even shield their eyes from seeing, their ears from hearing, and if they want to get crazy, they can shield their nose and their mouth passageway, and they can smother you simply by shielding you. Um, 
if they want to. I don't think anybody will do that, especially not Leandrin. She's a nice, jolly, happy person. But <laughs> she just demonstrates a body shield. So Nynaeve can't move or do anything against her here. Which actually, uh, so that makes sense of why if you get shielded, you can't unshield. But I think Nynaeve will see how shields work and then yep. will be able to unshield Lorang. Meringue. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's, demo, de that's my guess. Demonstrated exactly right here because they showed you. And Leandrin said, you can, you can do a weave that quickly. Nobody can do it that quickly. That's like mm -hmm. part of Nynaeve's thing. But Leandrin, when she's leaving, she looked a little scared. <laughs> so, yeah, what have I opened up here? Jesus Christ. And yeah, she wants to empower Nynaeve. It's almost as if she wants to build Nynaeve up to be like her, her bodyguard or like on her side. She definitely mm -hmm. wants Nynaeve on her side because she wants strength. Uh, right now, they're, the guys are burying the bodies, and this is where we see Elias bury the dog and put the candle over him. Um, Perrin is talking about his anger against Padden Fane and how strongly he wants to kill him. Because remember last season, Perrin was kind of embracing his more um, altruistic side, and now he's just talking about being angry and rage. Um, and then we have against that, um, what's his name again? Ingtar. Yeah, Ingtar is playing a pretty good balancing act with Perrin here, where it's like they're kind of looking at, looking at things from different perspectives. Um, they could kind of meet in the middle here, but I really got the vibe that Perrin didn't like. He doesn't even want to think about why a dark one would do what a dark friend would do. He doesn't even want to think about their reasons. He's just like, they're evil. I'm mm -hmm. going to kill them. I hate them. Um, Ingtar is a little more thoughtful about it. They got to have a reason. Wouldn't it be interesting to learn why they want to do this? So that kind of gives us a good balance and they could be a good uh, balancing act with each other. I think in the future, if yeah, they could he, work together, he's like a FBI agent on the BAU yeah. trying to find out why a serial killer does it. So then we can start seeing patterns in others and, you know, catch it before it starts. Next scene, we have Lan here actually trying to talk to Moraine. He, I think he takes a little bit of Thomas's advice from earlier, so he's just trying to be semi-nice. But Moraine is just being short and not with it. She smiles again with that smile, James. <laughs> it pisses Lan off. He punches the table, says, make your own damn dinner. I'm out of here. Um, she's just fixated on this poem. And... We know she's had 20 visitors, so I think that she's, not only is she going through some depression, she's also doing a lot of studying and, you know, trying to learn about this, this heartstone and this, this poem is a big clue, obviously. We see that she has a Beltine lantern there, and that leads us on to our next scene with Nynaeve and Egwene. Um, Egwene is making her little Beltine lantern thing here, and Nynaeve had completely forgotten that it was Beltine. She's just been so fixated on where she's at. So she's kind of beating herself up a little bit here because she's the wisdom. That's mm -hmm. the reason that, you know, it's a, it's a big deal that she forgot because it's kind of like if a, a, a pastor forgets Christmas, it's the same thing. 
So uh, let's see. They get a letter from Perrin. So they get to read up with that. He's hoping that they'll get to meet up again. The four of them can hang out. The four of them being he, Loyal, Nynaeve, and Egwene. Even throws in there, hey, even Matt, if Matt can hang out too, if he's, you know, not up to no good, maybe he can hang out with us. That's what that letter says. Then we immediately cut to Leandrin. She has Matt captive in the red Aja's quarters. And she's reading the same letter to Matt, except for her letter, she conveniently leaves out the part where they say, you know, maybe Matt will join us. So what she says is a dozen letters with no mention of Matt Cawthon. So either one of three things, she's straight up lying. She's black Aja. Cause that's a lie, right? Oh yeah. Or she's worked around the lie somehow by like, she'll take the letter. This is if she's not a black Aja, she takes the letter she writes her own copy, omits the part with Matt Cawthon, oh, then takes yeah. the letter in and then says no mention of Matt Cawthon. It's therefore not a lie. Could be that. Or it could be that she's receiving the letters and she's not getting all the information. I kind of think it's the first one <laughs> that we I caught her in a big lie. <laughs> I, think it's a, I think it's the second. You think it's the second that she's a, uh, okay, all right. But at any rate, we know that she's keeping Matt captive here, seemingly for no reason. He says it's been six months, and he hasn't touched the dagger. He's not bothering anybody. He's fine, but she's keeping him prisoner in there. Um, not exactly sure what's up with that, but I guess we'll find out soon enough. <laughs> um, and the reason she can do that is because in this White Tower, each Aja has like their own separate wing. And other Ajas can come and go, but for the most part, they stick with their wings. And the Blues have their thing, and they have a little prison. They keep people out if they have people they need to talk to. And the people that they keep in the Blues prison might not be known to anybody other than the Blues. Mm -hmm. So that's how the Reds are keeping Matt captive. And Nynaeve and Egwene and Alane just have no idea that Matt's there because Leandrin hasn't told them. Yeah. Um, but we see that, you know, Matt's working on escaping. Thank goodness he has a little plan. He's going to Shawshank Redemption out of there somehow. Um, Perrin's doing bell time for Layla. We see him put his wedding ring, and he gets ready to send the, the lantern off with the ring, but he changes his mind. He can't give up the ring. He still loves Layla. Good old Perrin. Matt, I mean, not Matt, Rand. Rand celebrating bell time. Rand puts up his own little lantern. I'm not sure who his lantern is for. Maybe it's for his mom like it was last year. But Rand is celebrating as well. I missed that part. Yeah. Yep. It Also, again, it's nighttime. It was dark. <laughs> it was a nighttime scene, and it was very hard to see. But, yeah, Rand hung up his. That's the only time we saw Rand is hanging up his Belltown lantern. Okay, so that was kind of like the equivalency of like when we, in Dark, me and Lindsay would always have like a, a, a music montage and a bunch of stuff would happen. That was kind of like our music montage there. Or just our montage. Or our montage, okay. Um, yeah, next up we're back with Lan. Um, he's having a meal with Baron, Adelius, and Thomas. And 
he's kind of stubbornly waiting for Moraine, even though he told her to eat her own dinner. He's kind of stubbornly waiting for her, thinking she might come down. She doesn't. Um, it's kind of Thomas who talks the sense into him here. And he kind of just says it real simply. He's like, you know, you've tried everything. Have you tried just being quiet and listening? Um, which is right up Land's alley. Land's a quiet guy. So he's like, nobody in my life has ever told me to be quiet before. So yeah, I guess it's a pretty damn good idea. Um, so yeah, a lot of wisdom there. So I really got- like, Mm-hmm. I really liked when he said, it's not the magic that bound you two together. It's the 20 years you spent together. Exactly. Yep. And they can't communicate with the bond, but they're horrible at their words. And I'll tell you right now, it's a main theme throughout these books is poor communication. Like these books could have been, it, all of these 15 Wheel of Time books could have been one book if everybody just talked to each other. It's like Seinfeld <laughs> once again. <laughs> so yeah, Land goes up to try to talk to Moraine about what he's just his little wisdom he's just got from Thomas. Um, but and, Moraine is running away. Yes, and this man's a monster. Wait, what are you talking about? Lan is a monster. He sets what? the food uh, of the plate of food on the uh-huh. ground. That's fine. Okay. But he sets the silverware on the ground. <laughs> Put it on the plate, you disgusting <laughs> heathen. Lan is not a disgusting, just because he's a little bit different from you, James. He comes from Ugh. a different culture, okay? No. These- oh, no cultures <laughs> eat from the ground. Besides dogs. These if guys. I, I, and I mean, like, direct, like, hey, we're just going to throw our food on the ground. Like, people, I've never seen anyone eat like that. And ew, don't put silverware on the dirty ground. He's the king of Malkier, okay? Give him a break. Anyway, he goes to find Moraine. Moraine has run away. I'm wondering if she might be altruistic here and running away because she knows that fades are after Boyle Damon. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking she might be leaving to keep her friends safe. Yeah. So she takes off and she is attacked by a fade. Of course, we uh-huh. see how these fades operate in the shadows, which is interesting. They can move from shadow to shadow easily. Like if they see a shadow, they can move to it. This is why, like in the city of Faldara, they s- wait, you're shaking your head. What do you got to say? They- they ripped this off from Pokemon Adventures, the manga. This was 1990, <laughs> okay? 1990, James. Oh, well, that was probably like 99. Yeah, nine years after. That's correct. Okay, all right. Oh, so in the books, I thought this didn't have anything from the books in it, sir. This has got lots of stuff from the books, my friend. <laughs> They're just mixed. They're just remixing stuff is all. Like in the books, for example, Bale Damon is chased by some murder all and some Trollocs, but it's not through Moraine. It's through a different course. Same thing. It's just a different impetus. That's all. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we got uh, Moraine and she can, she can trick this fade. She does a little foot trick and she, oh, I didn't finish my thought about how the fades travel from shadow to shadow. Uh, last season, they made mention of this um, in the book, I mean, in the show and as well as the book, how the city of Faldara, they keep the lights shining bright as shit all night long to keep the fades away. Oh, so like anywhere yeah. you go in the city at nighttime is going to be no shadows anywhere. There's lots of lights everywhere. 
But yeah, she's able to do the little foot trick and fool it. She can kill a shade barehanded. Um, eventually, of course, you got Lan jumping out of the shadows like Arya Stark joining the fight. And he's getting sliced up big time. He's keeping up with the fight, but he's also getting a lot of hits in. Moraine gets hit. They ain't looking good at all. Thank God the Aes Sedai shows up with her warder. And this is exactly why an Aes Sedai and a warder need that one power, because they can kill mm -hmm. those fades. No problem whatsoever. Like Thomas's sword is all one powered up. That uh, one of my favorite games growing up was Baldur's Gate. And in it, at least from what we remember as children, it could have been uh, because we had burnt CDs. Maybe it was, you know, a uh, modded. I swear <laughs> there was a flaming sword you could get in the flaming sword kicks ass that's what his sword is in the sound design when he's slicing in i had headphones on because nicole was sleeping so it was even like it's the perfect way to watch this it's so good the sound design just on the sword the slice and the removal oh baby but there's one <laughs> there's one thing that nicole if she would have seen would have fucking loved when the like land stabs into a fade and then it like clinks a sword and then tries to like chomp him and yes. goes hang, 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 hang. Yes. Nicole would have been like that dude's my favorite now <laughs> he better not get stabbed with a fire sword that pleased me as well I was very pleased when he started doing that chompy thing I liked it a lot <laughs> uh yeah we get like a before they start channeling of course like we see Moraine and she's like doing a thing with her hand and we see some one power coming out that was a fake out. That wasn't Moraine channeling. That was, you know, Adelius or Varen. I can't remember if it was Adelius or Varen that that provided that one power to blast them. So Moraine is still shielded. It looked cool, but she is not one powered up anymore. However, we leave this episode with them bloodied up, laying on the ground, and Lan asks Moraine the question, what aren't you telling me? So hopefully they're going to finally talk next episode. <laughs> I forgot That's where these, episode ends, James. I forgot these episodes had like 10 minutes of credit. So I was like, man, there's still so much left. Then it like ends. I'm like, oh yeah, 10 minutes of credits because you have to have every language credited for the, for the dubbing. Yeah. But yeah, we obviously know what he's not telling her, like what she's studying in there, what she's all about. Um, oh, we know okay. she's depressed. Yes. It's not obvious, sir, because I'm not really 100% sure. So get your book bullshit out of here. Okay. It's, okay. I misspoke. You're right. I, that, that, was, uh, that was a misspeak on my part. It seems to us what he's not telling her is what she's not telling him is what she's studying and what her plan is from here. Like why she's interested in the Heartstone, why mm -hmm. she's interested in the poem, and why she's having so many people come to her. Are they bringing her knowledge? Are they bringing her stuff? We don't know. This is what Lan wants to know because he doesn't know either. So hopefully we'll find out next episode. Hell yeah, brother. Yes. But yeah, from right now, I'm going to ask you and myself um, who we enjoyed the most in this episode and who we enjoyed the least in this episode. I've already thought about this. I already have mine written down, but um, I can go first if you'd like and give you time to think. Or if you, I already know. If you already know, then give it up. Uh, alopecia Aes Sedai is my favorite and my least <laughs> favorite. Probably like every episode will be a meringue. I'm kidding. It's Leandrin. 
Yes. Okay. Okay. Wait, that's your least favorite? Yeah. Okay. All right. She sucks. She, okay. Yeah. Well, I have her as my favorite because I enjoyed her more than anybody else in this episode. Like, I didn't like her at all. I hate her. She's awful. But I like her character the most. Like, I'm most interested in her. And I, when I see her on the screen, I'm excited. So I have oh. her as my favorite. Um, uh, I wish I could go back and change mine for my most favorite. It was the Loyal? trollop who just wanted to be touched. <laughs> yes. I'm kidding. <laughs> well, yeah, I was thinking maybe Loyal might have been my favorite because, you know, I always smile when I see him. But, yeah, I'm going to give it up to Leandrin. Um, my least favorite would be Ingtar, this guy that was trying to talk sense into Perrin. Mm. Uh, he was definitely pissing Perrin off, and I just thought that guy had kind of like a uh, a wooden performance. I didn't get anything out of him at all. Um, I got the vibe that he was kind of a jerk. To, like The crew didn't like him too much. They just respect him because he's higher up on the command list than they are. But yeah, I don't like Ingtar. He can go beat it. Oh, I enjoyed him. Uh, a plane's, that's why it's cupped. A plane's coming up. Okay, plane is gone. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's pissing Perrin off, but I'd like to piss and Perrin, am I right? You're wrong. No. <laughs> Have you ever thought about, like, farting into someone else's butt and then they fart your fart? That's just something that's frequently on my mind. <laughs> this is not mostly speaking Sentai, James. This is... So what we- you got to... <laughs> <laughs> what you got to plug? <laughs> nope, we're not plugs yet. I'm going to go into a little bit of listener feedback real quick because oh, we had feedback yeah. last week. Uh, of course, we don't have any feedback now because this just came out. Hopefully, we'll have some feedback. But we had the good old Dylan E hitting us up last week again because Lindsay and I finished Dark Season 2 last week. And so we're taking hiatus now. We're going to continue Season 3 once we're done with this Season 2. Uh, Dylan would write us He's been writing us every week for about the past five or six weeks now. He's a number one guy. Uh, Let's see. Where is the letter he wrote? All right. Here we go. Yes. Dylan, if we can get Dylan's face, I'll slap him their face. (laughs) Actually, I'll say there. I don't know their pronouns. Uh, I'll slap Dylan's face on Blockheads because you said he's the number one guy. Blockhead on all the Halloween episodes of Blockhead (laughs) from Newgrounds.com would go as just white t-shirt over his normal t-shirt that just said number one guy on it <laughs> Yep. <laughs> well dylan is our number one guy he says about last week uh you guys never miss another wonderful recap and looking forward to the next and the season finale it says first i love and can appreciate that your co-host Lindsay actively engages with the listeners and i would be honored to share a thought-provoking idea with you and the listeners here we go To branch off of speaking of Claudia's great episode, it reintroduced me to the occurring theme that I've been seeing from some of my very first times watching. We've watched time travel become the answer for our front line of characters, the answer for Jonas and attempts to have the perfect story and all of his problems solved, uh, like making things work out with Martha and himself, the answer for Ulrich, who we've seen, um, nonchalant disregard of Eric Obendorf, and of course, feeling some type of way when his son goes missing. Furthermore, acting in pure emotion throughout the different times regarding the consequences, and of course, Claudia and others. We've seen the recurring theme of characters looking to make themselves perfect for themselves, for their world, and for their times, for the perfect ending. 
Dylan is very esoteric, as you can see, and I didn't mm -hmm, 100% mm -hmm. follow all of that, Dylan. But what Lindsay and I got from that is, I believe what I'm taking from it is you're asking us if there was a time in our life that we would turn to time travel for an answer. Um, I mean, I think the obvious answer, of course, is like the death of a loved one. Um, but of course, that's what they do in dark. There is a, a car crash that is the impetus for everything. And so this car crash is what they are trying to stop from happening. Mm -hmm. Now, James and myself have a lot of um, really bizarre things in common. And one of the bizarre things we have in common is we both had good friends pass away in car crashes. Therefore, How do you know that? Because <laughs> we talk <laughs> about it all the time. <laughs> I, yeah, I bring it up frequently. So I'm taking that off the table, okay? That cannot be your answer. If you could go back and have a time-traveling changing event to change something, what would it be? I'll let you think about that because I already have my answer, which I would go back to when I was about two years old. I was jumping on my mom's bed, fell off and hit the dresser, and in doing so, I damaged my tooth. My lip fell off, so I had this big bump on my lip, and I have a big scar across my chin, which is why I always have a beard. So what would it be like if I did not have that accident when I was a kid and I had a, a normal chin and a normal lip and normal teeth? I think that would be fascinating to be able to go back and see if that changes my life at all, changes like my perspective or changes, you know, how I grew up. Cause I know it affected me because I was very self-conscious of like the scars on my face. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be the point for me is going back and stopping that from happening. I guess so I go back. Anything for you? I'd go back to, uh, no, don't say a depressing thing. Uh, I like, I'd go back to like when I was 14 and be like, here's an EQ and here's a compressor. Mm. Use these. Yeah. When did you actually start using those? Like in real life, when did you actually start using EQs and professors and pro <laughs> professors? Compressors. I mean, like I knew EQing for, for vocals and compression for vocals. But when I made beats, I never used those two things. Where it's like, oh no! Every instrument you should have an EQ to cut off at least the 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 low end and some of the high end, and then make it sound how you need it to sound so it fits the mix better. Instead of just being like, "Well, crank everything up, brother." <laughs> See, we're telling fourteen year old you this. Yeah. So, like, how many years ahead of the game does that put you then? Oh, if you probably this like fourteen, like six years. So yeah, you would be. <laughs> All right, let's let's do it. Let's go back to two-year-old Steve and 14-year-old James and change their lives. Oh, and then also be like, <laughs> hey, use chord progressions and find out about ninth chords. It will make melody so much easier. <laughs> and put some dudge in there while you're at it. That's why I asked you about dudge earlier, because Howard Kramer was like really hyping up the dudge last week. And I was like, I bet it, I, I can do some dudge in here. And I did. It sounded great. And I was like, I got to send some of this crap to James. But if you don't want the dudge, I'll keep the dudge for myself, James. I'll keep the dudge, man. I was going to just send in the the THX and be like, yeah, this is dudge. And it goes, Zhh. and then I was just, when it peaks, I was just going to go, dudge. <laughs> A verbal dudge. Yeah. Oh, we're getting silly. Let's get our plugs and get out of here, James. Um, I'll do mine real quick. Um, Intro Void, I just released... Um, uh, two song EP with 
a song you heard at the intro of this show, which is like my Wheel of Time theme song, my version of it. And then I wrote Sick Creatus Mundus Est, which is an instrumental. It's supposed to have vocals on there. There's no vocals. So I went ahead and released the instrumental. I want to get some vocals on there, y'all. But that's my plug for the week, James. Oh, yeah. Plus, go back and listen to the old episodes of Sweet Child of Time. We recapped Dark 1899 and Season 1 of Wheel of Time. It's all back there. And we did Season 1 twice. That's right. We did the recap and the rewatch. Don't get your recaps and your rewatches mixed up because they're all back there. Yeah, and you can see from the rewatch to, or the recap to the rewatch, it's like, wow, James, I think, got smarter. So (laughs) I'm back to being dumb, guys. Yay. Hey, listen to my music under Marshland Monster. That's three words. I got a new EP with MC Deep coming out September 15th called The Modern Myth. It's very good. It's house music. It's drum and bass. It's Ooh, baby. And in October, I got Anal Dentata, the now 12-track E, Ooh. or not EP, 12-track album. single. It's it's a, yeah, it is an album, and some of the songs are very long. So it's the <laughs> biggest project I've ever put out, I think. But you remixed the song like it's just like an old house dance single where they had a bunch of remixes and different mixes and general extended cuts. So like, Shane Poppin' Wolf is on one of like the extended cut doing a verse. Crazy Eight the Snapcase did a remix. Defo did a remix. And then I did like three or four remixes, all like completely different sounding. I really am. It's one of the best things I've ever done. I'm so proud of it. And then good, in good. November, I got a drum and bass like PlayStation N64 era style, like intelligent, chill jungle stuff that it's just it's a bunch of instrumentals that i'm putting out uh nicole j- started on the cover for it it looks beautiful it's in the style of her uh, sticker club uh, stuff yeah. so w- it will also be a sticker the album cover will be that you could only get on darlinghomebody.com yay yay and listen to my other podcast mlmpod.com for information on that and Patreon.com forward slash MLM pod, where for $5 a month, you get exclusive content every single Friday. Yeah. Heck yeah. James, thank you for joining me again. And we just done episode one. We got seven more episodes to go. So for the next seven weeks, we'll be talking James. So until then, I hope you always find water and shade. And I hope you find water and shade and it's not just raining down pollen. Chips ahoy. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye.